As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm here with my dad, John Wyatt. How are you today, John? Yeah, good to be here and uh, talking about another mind-boggling subject. <laughs> That's right. Yes, today, um, moving on a little bit from from the last few weeks, we're we're going to tackle: uh, Should robots have rights? Um, uh, an odd question, if one one you haven't thought about before, but something which is actually when when uh, you dig into it, quite an interesting, fascinating one, particularly when it throws up how we should respond to some of these debates as Christians. Um, You've been focusing quite a bit in the last few years of your work, haven't you, John, on research into artificial intelligence and robotics, including um, last year you you, you co-authored, well, you co-edited a book about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you could argue that I am completely unqualified. You know, hmm. it's never stopped me in the past talking <laughs> about things. But, um, you know, because I'm neither a computer specialist nor am I a theologian. You know, I'm a baby doctor. But through my experience in you know, being fascinated by advancing technology, the, one of the interesting themes which came out time and time again is it seems to me that whenever technology advances, uh, it seems to raise an age-old question about what it means to be human, but often with new and, and interesting guises. And so you know, my history working as a doctor, it was often things like you know, keeping tiny premature babies alive you know was it ever right to switch off the life support machinery what about abortion what about reproductive technology and embryo research and uh, what about the persistent vegetative state when someone's got such severe brain damage that they're not really conscious Um, so the technology is raising the question about what does it mean to be human and the reason I've become fascinated by AI and robotics is that I, I see this as, as like the next big wave that's coming along that is, lo and behold, raising that question again. Uh, what does it mean to be human in the light of advances in AI and robotics? Hmm. I don't know if you noticed um, uh, the thing when you first look around this question of should robots have rights? What comes up time and time again is a, a rather bizarre uh, ex, uh, set of events in 2017 when a supposed robot called Sophia was given Saudi Arabian citizenship. I don't know if you've seen if you saw that story at the time. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, it received a lot of a lot of um, profile, a lot of interest, and it shows 
it's to me it just reflects the fact that there's a sort of abiding fascination at least among some people in our society uh, both a sort of sense of excitement about you know maybe it's possible that robots are now becoming like people uh, but also a kind of dystopic fear you know what what is the future leading us into hmm. the the creator of sophia um, claimed on American television that his robot was quote basically alive, uh, and um, at, in in October that he brought the robot to the United Nations, telling uh, the delegates at the General Assembly that he, it was here to help humanity create the future. Uh, it's worth stressing before we move on. This is all mostly kind of PR nonsense, and in effect, it's actually just a kind of um, uh, a well crafted replica of a human face with some motors behind it to move move the eyes and mouth and it can do some pre-programmed responses um but it's um it's not it's not alive um (laughs) and it was mostly i think the citizenship thing was mostly ginning up some interest in some saudi tech investment conference but it raises a fascinating question about why as you say why are people so fascinated with this idea that are robots equivalent to us as people it's a nice word which has been coined to describe robots that are basically fake like this, and they're Phobots, F-A-U-X, bots. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, very much a Phobot. But but it tapping into an idea that's really been quite present, mostly in science fiction rather than actual reality, for, for almost, well, over 100 years, hasn't it, really? This idea of when or if we have robots which actually do, are genuinely autonomous and and can have some sense of intelligence, what kind of um, status personhood should be bestowed upon them? Yeah, and I think the role of science fiction in all this is is utterly fascinating, and it's something that hasn't received enough attention. But if you think of all the big technological advances in history, you know, things like the invention of the steam engine and the Industrial Revolution and electricity and so on, the the technological advance came first and then the novelists come along you know so then charles dickens comes along and writes his novels about the industrial revolution and so on but what has happened here is that f- for more than 100 years uh, creative writers and novelists and filmmakers and so on have been uh, inventing creating a whole series of issues and questions and fantasies and uh, long before the technology has come into uh, into force, and that that very um, the, the, all that creativity is actually influencing the way that the the real life physical technology is developing. Most of the people working in Silicon Valley and elsewhere in the robotics and the AI industries are science fiction devotees. You know, they they grew up with this stuff from the uh, from their mother's womb mm. and and one of the th- one of the writers i mean it's worth stressing before we move on the, the word itself robot actually was first coined not by a, a theorist or a scientist but by a writer a czech playwright actually um who who derived it from i think um uh, a, a, ro- a word in many slavic languages robota which means kind of forced labor or surf um so even from the beginning the word robot is not a neutral term it kind of evokes a sense that these beings are are equivalent to kind of slaves or serfs that's right and also in that very first um play the um in fact it was a the story was about these robota 
these serfs who then um, were in a factory but took over. They, there was a revolution. And so that's an example of where this kind of fear of the robots taking over is something that's been explored repeatedly uh, in, in literature. And, and Isaac Asimov was, was in fact a key player in all this. Uh, and uh, you were just telling me before we came on air that you used to read Isaac Asimov um, the paperbacks that were lying around at home. That's right, yeah. There were, you had a number of them on the shelves, remember, and I remember stumbling across them when I must have been a young teenager, maybe 12 or 13, and, and devouring these kind of slightly pulpy novels, but really interesting ones about, um, in particular, a whole series of short stories he did based in a kind of future universe where um, we created this thing called a positronic brain, which is kind of like an autonomous um uh software that could that acted for, for like like in artificial intelligence and and so it was it was a whole series of kind of little short kind of thought experiments about what would happen if a robot that was autonomous did x y and z but what kind of undergirds the whole thought experiment is is asimov came up with these three laws of robotics which in his in his sci-fi uh the kind of all robots are built with these three laws baked into their hardware as a kind of constitution or a bill of rights almost um and just quickly run through those so the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm the second law is a robot must obey orders given to it by humans except where such orders would conflict with the first law and then the third law is that robots must protect their own existence as long as that doesn't conflict with the first or second law and 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 then a lot of the books kind of tease out the contradictions and the the gaps and and how these how human beings in a world where ro they knew robots are bound by these laws might interact with them in really interesting kind of fascinating um, ways. That's right, and really the whole point about the Asimov stories is just illustrating how those laws, which seem relatively straightforward and obvious. Uh, lead to all kinds of unexpected consequences and turn out to be much less effective than you might think. And um, and certainly uh, now we're getting to the point where autonomous robots are, uh, creators are talking about trying to bake in, as you say, certain fundamental rules. It's turning out that, unfortunately, I mean, Asimov's uh, three laws are far too crude and uh, and and vague, open to interpretation, um, and and they don't really work in the real world. Mm. And it's fascinating to me that you know these Asimov books, you know they weren't they weren't new when I was reading them in the in the early noughties. They were already half a century old. Another twenty years has passed, so sci-fi is so far ahead of the curve. But actually, we're just now at the tipping point where this is starting to be a real world pressing concern. Um, where where real policymakers and legislators and lawyers are actually seriously thinking and and about what how can we um, you know what rights and liabilities uh, rights and responsibilities should we give to aut autonomous beings um, the one the the one kind of real world example that comes to mind immediately is is around self driving cars um, as cars are given more and more autonomous capacities. Um, there's been a, a lot of talk and a lot of debate and very little consensus, unfortunately, about what does that mean if a self-driving car, you know, causes a crash or even in the worst case scenario, actually harms or kills a person who is responsible? You know, can you prosecute a, a self-driving car for, for dangerous driving? Do you go after the manufacturer? Do you go after the car's owner? Do you go after who was in the passenger seat at the time? 
you know all these questions and they're not simply uh, theoretical you know there are there are real um you know there's there was a case in america where a tesla which was on its um so-called autopilot feature uh the driver was 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 distracted not letting the tesla drive itself down a freeway um, or or a road somewhere and it hit um i think a cyclist was it or a pedestrian and, and sadly killed her that's right and it turned out the sensors weren't able because for the particular lighting characteristics uh, the sensors weren't able to detect this um, somebody I think walking a bicycle who was crossing the road and was killed so I, I think there are very real uh, concerns about these autonomous agents and the need for laws and rules and um, there, there has been some discussion about whether or not um, autonomous agents uh, could be given, granted some kind of legal status as, as a legal person um, be, because we know that uh, other entities uh, it's possible for instance for companies to be granted status as a legal person so some people are suggesting maybe uh, we should grant autonomous agents the possibility of become, being seen in the law as persons well, I'm no expert, but that sounds like a fairly interesting way of maybe squaring the circle of of going a kind of a, a middle way between we don't we're not comfortable about giving robots equivalent legal status and rights as human beings, but clearly they need to have more rights than a you know a, a, a lump of metal like a, a dumb car that can't drive itself. Uh, what do you think about this idea of creating giving them legal personhood in a way that some companies have? Well, I think it's you know I'm not a lawyer, but but I'm aware of the fact this this is fiendishly complex and 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 challenging and difficult, and and one of the very fundamental ideas, which is very important, of course, is that is that rights and responsibilities are always go together. Wherever there are rights, there are also, in some sense, responsibilities, and so if we make a robot or an autonomous agent, if we give it rights, what are the responsibilities of that agent? Are, are there, is that agent to be held responsible for its activities? So, for instance, if, if a company is, is, a, is a legal person and a company activities lead to harm, then that person is held accountable and, and you know, the, the company is held accountable and can be sued and uh, money can be... Uh, removed from the company and so on, fined and so on. But but does that make any sense for a a, a robot that we're going to fine a robot? Are we going to uh, imprison the robot? Are we going to? Mm. Uh, it 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 doesn't make any sense really. Mm. Um, and 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 that's just one example of how granting legal personhood seems to open up other all, all sorts of complexities. It potentially raises as many questions as it answers um i understand you were saying that, that this is this issue of of kind of legal personhood for robots uh is 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 an under active discussion by the european union in particular which is kind of trying to formulate its policy around that and and i know at least there's at least one briefing paper that's been produced by the eu which is quite critical of the idea because it says you know the 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 fundamental conceit behind giving legal personhood to companies is that companies are comprised of people um, whereas a robot doesn't have the same people behind it to fall back on in that sense if they're acting genuinely autonomously. 
Yes, that's right. And I, I think, you know, the, the, these are issues under active discussion and debate at the moment uh, in the EU, in the States, uh, elsewhere across the world. And uh, my impression is that at the moment, there's no real consensus on, on what the best way forward is. But there is a general recognition there definitely need to be rules, there need to be regulations. But um, the, the question of, of rights um, raises fundamental questions about how we should respond to these, these beings. And it, it's not just about liability for things going wrong. It's also about our human reactions to uh, particularly to humanoid robots in our midst. I think the humanoid thing is a really critical thing because, you know, for decades now, um, you know, uh, in particular, lots of manufacturing has involved robots, in particular, um, kind of car assembly lines. It's a major part of, of kind of high-tech manufacturing is you have these um, se se uh, semi-autonomous uh, machines which basically assemble things at great speed or, or lift and carry things that obviously human beings would be too small or take too long to do. And no one is really interested in or cares about assigning them status, citizenship in Saudi Arabia or personhood to these things, these kind of clumsy, huge metal machines bolted to the floor, often surrounded by cages to prevent them from accidentally pulverizing their human co-workers. But it's when we start to see more humanoid robots that actually feel and look a bit more like us that suddenly it muddies the waters and people are like, oh, hang on, mm, I don't feel comfortable just treating that like a slave in a way that we effectively treat some of those non-humanoid robots like slaves. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. It's not just uh, robot robotic systems which are appear like human beings, because it also applies to robotic systems that that seem to be like uh, animals. An interesting uh, study done by Kate Darling, a researcher at MIT, and she got together groups of volunteers and and she gave them all these little small uh, robotic dinosaurs to to play with. And then after she'd spent time and they'd really enjoyed playing with these little uh, dinosaurs, she asked them to, to tie them up and, and then to kill them and gave them a hammer in order to destroy these robots. Even, uh, and, and what happened was that these little robots were, were programmed to whimper and, and to say, oh, I'm hurt, please don't hurt me, and so on. And uh, interesting, obviously the study was to see how human beings would respond to this. And she said that many of the participants refused to hurt the robots and, and, and said they felt uncomfortable because the robots were whimpering and, and, it was, and, and they felt sorry for them. Hmm. So that kind of implies that it's quite easy to kind of short circuit humans' instinctive empathy and even when a robot doesn't feel or look anything like us when it's a miniature dinosaur, if it seems to be sentient, if it seems to be experiencing pain, are kind of inbuilt um, uh, protections against causing kind of harm and suffering to people like us kicks in and, and we feel deeply uncomfortable about treating it like a kind of inanimate lump of lump of metal. Well, that's right. And actually, if you think about it, you would probably be much more worried about the people who were quite happy to smash 
the brains of a dinosaur while it was whimpering or screaming in apparent pain. You, you would think that says something really quite unpleasant about that person, doesn't it? I mean, is that really? Are they acting humanely? So I guess what what the line of thinking here is that the question of whether robots are people is secondary. The bigger question is if they're enough like people that um, we might need to give them protections and rights because simply abusing them um, dehumanizes us by doing it. And and so we we might want to give robots the status and, and dignity of, of, of persons, even if we're not sure they are people, just because we feel like if we allow humans to abuse and degrade them and treat them like ser- slaves um, or serfs, it actually dis- mars our own humanity. That's right. And there's obviously some kind of analogy here with you know, the very stringent animal legislation there is in many countries, including here in the UK. I mean, you know, if if someone was to uh, physically abuse a kitten or a puppy, um, they could be guilty of a very serious criminal offence and be sent to prison. Um, and yet we don't have the same kind of laws protecting octopuses or uh, other um, uh, sentient uh, animals. So why is it that we as a as a society feel that it's right to have such strong criminal pr- law to protect uh, kittens and puppies and is it and of course part of it is because of a concern for uh, these animals that they can suffer and be abused and of course that's quite right but is also an element of it that it that we feel that it says something about us as a society we don't wish to be part of a society that treats kittens and puppies as as disposable and be available to to be tortured at will. And I guess that question of sentience and feeling harm is really critical because um, the, 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 the question is then, can a robot, even an incredibly sophisticated, genuinely artificially intelligent robot that might come to be in the next 50, 100 years, who knows, uh, can it feel suffering or pain or harm in the way that you know even a relatively unintelligent animal like a cat can you know we know that a cat feels pain um how could a robot that doesn't have flesh and blood and neurons and nerve endings feel harm even if it was incredibly sophisticated and autonomous yeah and and the common sense response is this is all rubbish we know that machines are just machines and don't feel everything but it's not as simple as that because, you know, there are many people who would argue that human beings are, in the end, very sophisticated combinations of wiring and cells and, and all the rest. And, and yet we know that human beings have, are conscious and, and are sentient and aware of pain. And so are we really confident that a, a highly sophisticated a robot which has the same kind of level of sophistication as the human central nervous system are we really confident that that could never become conscious or aware or, or sentient or suffer pain hmm this reminds me of a story someone uh shared recently that was in the telegraph which was saying that that robots need a bill of rights now and the government should start drawing one up before conscious attention actually comes into being and this was this was um this call was coming from something called the Sentience Institute, which which describes itself as the first and only AI rights organization. And and their kind of argument is even if they're entirely 
you know made of silicon and copper wiring and uh, and plastic if a if a robot can do things like you know learn via trial and error focus attention on harmful stimuli have mood like states goal directed behavior um it, it is equ- effectively sentient and therefore needs to be kind of given the same moral and legal status at least the animals that other sentient animals like dogs and cats have what, what do you make of that argument well yes it's a, it's a powerful narrative and of course it, it goes along with a narrative which is which is very common particularly in sort of liberal circles and that is that you know if we look back in the history of society we see now that only a small group of human beings were originally regarded as having full human personhood and rights, and they were mainly white European males. And then as society progresses, gradually the circle of, of, of moral rights uh, in, expands to include uh, European women and then uh, people from other uh, nations and and, and backgrounds and and then the moral circle continues to expand and starts to include certain animals primates and dolphins and cats and dogs and so on and and then it is argued that we're about to have the next stage that the the, the moral circle is about to expand further and is going to include um, a certain categories of sentient uh, machines I guess the problem I have with that argument one of the problems is that there seems to be a category distinction between even like highly sentient animals and machines in that other human beings and other animals are not created, owned, manufactured, controlled, brought into being by us. They are, they just, they exist off their own accord. Whereas all forms of machinery, artificial intelligence and robotics are fundamentally made by us. And that seems to be quite that seems to be quite morally significant. Sh- couldn't you make the case that like it's wrong to treat an uh, another human being or an animal as a slave because they have a dignity that comes from their independentness of us? But a a machine, however sophisticated, however much it might mimic sentience, it might be programmed to whimper when you break it apart. But it's fundamentally, it's being created for a purpose, and we are at liberty to kind of tear it down and build it up for something else just like we might do with with any other kind of tool yeah and this is a deep um philosophical discussion really Uh, is is dignity something that is inherent that 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 comes from the way i am made and uh or is dignity something that is conferred is it something which we as a society agree to confer and um, you know there are that that that's an ongoing debate, uh, but it it isn't immediately obvious that that it, that dignity or, or the, the rights and personhood have to be intrinsic, that they that they cannot be conferred. That we as a society say this being is appears to have all the characteristics of of being sentient and of being. Uh, conscious and and therefore we choose together as a society to confer on it the the same rights as other human beings have and i guess historically speaking the whole concept the whole discourse around rights fundamentally has been conferred you know we talk about today because it suffuses our culture this concept of inalienable universal human rights 
but before 1948 or whenever the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was proclaimed and and signed up to by X number of countries, they didn't exist. In, or at least they weren't acknowledged and recognised and enacted and enforced. A and maybe in that sense, we can say we feel it feels like dignity and rights, you know, the right to life, the right not to be tortured, the right to to uh, freedom of expression, all this stuff that we feel is intrinsic. In, 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 in pragmatic realpolitik truth, those have been declared and just assumed and arrogated by humans to themselves. Yeah, well, you know, I think we're running out of time, aren't we? Because I think these these are very big fundamental questions and, and, a, and, a, and a big question I've been grappling with is how on earth do we respond to this from a distinctively Christian point mm. of view? How does the Christian faith engage with uh, some of these uh, challenging questions? And um, it isn't immediately obvious. I mean, uh, one of the uh, fascinating things, I think, is, is that technology is raising new uh, challenges and questions which which Christians have, have never really had to face before mm. and and therefore there isn't a sort of strong stream of of theological and biblical reflection uh, it's almost like we're starting with a blank sheet of paper and trying to to work out on first principles uh, how we should respond to this and, and and one of the things which strikes me therefore is that that's quite a dangerous process we it's it's perfectly possible that we could get it very wrong yeah and and yet although this is new and pressing it taps into as you said before some really ancient biblical ideas around you know what does it mean to be human you know is our humanness given and received or is it something we actualize ourselves what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Who is made in the image of God? You know, so there's 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 these really profound Christian themes running through what is a prof a really, as you say, novel and 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 unexpected question, um, and probably something if I can be a little cheeky, that's really going to be pressing for my generation. You know, you might not live to see the day of autonomous robots, Dad, but you know, <laughs> I expect to be here for at least another fifty or sixty years, and I think there's every chance by the time we get to the the 2080s and beyond that that this will not be purely the realm of science fiction but it could be very much something that I, we have to live alongside yeah but i want my caring robot son don't, don't forget you know <laughs> that's your real interest in this dynamic isn't it <laughs> all right well as you say we're running out of time but we're going to come back next week and and move the conversation on by thinking about how christians have responded to some of these uh, debates around robots, rights, sentience, personhood, uh, responsibilities, and 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 think about what we as believers can can contribute to that discussion from from scripture, from from Christian tradition. So I look forward to that conversation. Um, but uh, otherwise, thanks for listening. Um, as always, um, you can get in touch with us by emailing molad at premier.org.uk. That's M-O-L-A-D. Um, uh, there's loads more resources um, on John's website if you'd like to read or, or watch or listen to more about the questions of artificial intelligence and robotics. Um, we'll put a link in the podcast description to get there um, and including his 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 excellent book um, co-edited with Stephen Williams, a theologian, uh, called The Robot Will See You Now, which is a series of chapters by various thinkers, academics, uh, writers uh, discussing what robotics and artificial intelligence might mean in, in everything from kind of healthcare to art to science to law to politics so do do check that out there's links to buy that on John's website as well um, but otherwise uh, thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll speak to you next week